Hey guys, it's Mike and Kurt from Philcraft Survival. As you guys know, we don't make a penny off this podcast. One thing that was uh, advised to us and something that we've been thinking about is opening up the door for you guys to make a donation to the podcast to kind of keep us on track. Yeah, uh, Maybe we can get off the iPhone and stop recording <laughs> and actually build a studio or something. Yeah. But it'd be kind of cool to uh, you know upgrade the situation, which obviously upgrades the content for us to allow us to put out more content. Our objective is one to two podcasts per week uh, based on our current activities, which is being busy all the time. Yeah, We've reprioritized things, but you know, a lot of the podcasts that we compete with, uh, including Soft Rep, which we always stomp a mud hole in, uh, also Bernie <laughs> Sanders, which we defeat on a weekly basis. That's like two of the like complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, absolutely it is, and we're in, we're in the same category. We're, in, we're actually in government and organizations. We're we're a top ten podcast all the time. I think last time we checked, we were number five. Yeah, uh, competing with like Smithsonian Museum and right. Bernie Sanders Soft Rep, which is cool. Which is real cool. Yeah. So bottom line is, if you guys want to help us out and you guys want to make a donation, it's not anything. There's no obligation. It's yeah. not like we're forcing you guys, but we want you to do it. And if you don't do it, we'll just unfollow you. And, <laughs> um, but you guys can make a... Are you strong-arming people? Uh, passively aggressive. No, I think this is a cool way. I mean, you know, again, like Mike's saying, we're not asking uh, for anything. Wait, I think we are asking. Yeah, we are kind of, I guess. No, but like you said, there's no pressure to do it. But I think it would be cool because it's going gonna, it's gonna to expand the horizon of the podcast, improve the quality, and then allow us to make it, you know, more of a, a regular thing. So, that, Which I think is a staple for 2018. We need right. to be able to do that. Right. So if you guys want to make a donation, you could go to our PayPal account, which is our business PayPal account. Right. And it's uh, info at philcraftsurvival.com. Again, that's info at philcraftsurvival.com. Because this podcast is sponsored by Philcraft Survival. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's all we got. Oh, and Lucas uh, from T-Rex Arms. He's a, he's a good uh, business partner of ours, friends of ours, friends of ours. I don't know why I mentioned his name, but uh, he might have <laughs> well, gave you're us wearing his hat the right idea. Now, so. Yeah, he might have gave us the idea, but no big deal. If you guys are interested, we appreciate your feedback. You don't have to uh, donate, but if you if you do, um, more power to the, the podcast and Heck the content. Yeah. yeah. And we look forward to uh, doing more of these. Hey guys, welcome back to the Phil Crass Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today's co-host is <laughs> Kurt. The same guy that's been here for nine months. Well, you weren't here the other day when I did a <laughs> yeah. podcast, so now yeah. it's relevant. Yeah. All right. Pearl yeah, was yeah. my co-host the that's other day. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been on a roll doing podcasts. Yeah, everybody's excited about that too. They're yeah. They're, we're getting positive feedback on the last two that we well, one you did, like you said, and then mm -hmm. The, uh, the last one that we did, which was uh, talking about technology. I thought that was a really good podcast. Hopefully, we get some feedback. We just kind of advertised for it today because it just released this morning. That's right. But that was a good one to do, too, because it's uh, I've heard there's other people, uh, you know, that have been on their podcast addressing those kind of issues. So, um, hey, we gave you our perspective and uh, we think we gave some solid plans of action on what to do with yeah. technology. I think so, too. It's like, just get rid of it. <laughs> yeah that's the way like mike said it smash it with a hammer smash it with a hammer <laughs> i'm gonna sell a kit 
that's a technology uh, mitigation kit. It's going to be a hammer. <laughs> you just smash it and you send me the broken yeah. phone. You your put, life you're going to have a Fieldcraft tag on it. It says technology mitigator. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm going to do a picture of that. Yeah, we could. I'm going to smash a phone. <laughs> yeah. An old iPhone 4 laying around. Yeah. I'm going to smash your 7. <laughs> yeah. Is that thing under insurance? Uh, actually, it is. You could smash and get an X. We're not going to, yeah, we're not going to talk about insurance fraud on the podcast. Oh, I mean, <laughs> just <Yeah>. kidding. <laughs> yeah. oh. Oh. Classic. Hey, so on Instagram, um, speaking of uh, technology and and uh, social media stuff. I got that. I did that post of the me doing CQB with Iraqis. Oh, okay. And, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Well, it was a hundred comments, and I had to erase <laughs> fifty-five of them. Yeah, because people were armchair quarterbacking me and saying, right, mostly Marines. Right. No. Yeah. No offense to no. No the offense. Devil that dogs, make comments. For for the love of God. I know it's it's. Have insane. you ever done CQB with an indigenous partner force? Yeah. It's not like it's the smoothest operation well, on the planet. Well, somebody. The first critique that stood out to me was somebody said, "You guys just entered the room and nobody shot for you into the room," which is everybody who does CQB does that. Yeah. I mean, that's a bad habit. Period. But in our the video that I posted, the guy actually shot. The target before he entered the room. There's two right. shots that are broken, and I, you know, this is just just so you understand the context. Those guys that were going in the room were have never been trained in CQB. We were doing a live fire CQB exercise. Yeah, so you guys were doing a progression build yeah. up to doing the live fire, and these guys were like new trainees. Yeah, shooting AK-47s in confined yeah. spaces with iron, at steel targets with iron sights. With iron sights, right? And we were doing. Uh, it's called an isolation drill. If you're familiar with training, yeah. And we isolated a. Well, I am. I don't know if training. anybody else is. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, according to the the people who made the comments, and I won't blanket Marines, but ninety percent of them were out of the fifteen that made comments because they're all smart ass comments that were saying stuff like they didn't dominate their corner. They didn't. Even right. one guy said, "Oh, way to have like I had a flashlight on my gun." Right. Because I'm an American. Because that's how Special we Special Forces <laughs> operator with a flashlight on my gun. Right. That's $500. Yeah. The Iraqis, unfortunately, don't have that. They have AK-47s yeah. with pot K-pots. Well, the other thing I think that's important just for, uh, you know, to give people perspective is the time frame that, that that video was taken, which was what? Early? 06. Right. 2006. In Iraq. We've evolved a little bit that since was then. That was in Iraq. Warf yeah. Warfare. Yeah. Uh, so I get it, guys. Uh, we love the armchair quarterbacking. Um, typically, we don't pay attention to that kind of stuff uh, just because, you know, hey, man, we've we have the experience to talk about what we're talking about. And I got it, man. Everybody's going to look at things differently. I know what I know. But that I one, I know what I don't. That one was a little bit irritating. Yeah, you know, it was like, guys, you need to understand the context. So. Yeah, and if you don't understand the context, then shut the fuck up. <laughs> I mean, just keep your mouth shut. Like, how hard is that? I don't go on people's like Instagrams and just arbitrarily troll. Yeah, not understanding the context of what's even taking taking place. If I have a question about something, I always DM somebody. I'm not yeah. gonna. I'm not gonna be a rude little prick and comment on. Well, their one dude's like, "Who's the dude in shorts without a helmet being a cool guy?" I'm like, "Well, that's me." <laughs> and I, I'm like I, I'm an SF dude and I'm training these guys. Why is he shooting twice as much? Well, I shot twice as much because I wanted to get those guys um, driving the momentum, right. which they would when I shot 
and they understood what right looked like. Yeah, well, let's let's be clear. Also, you also had a ten week course under your belt. You know, at a minimum that we both yeah. uh, have been to that is kind of the baseline, which is a fantastic course that we go to while we're in the military. So, anyways, uh, all right. I, but I didn't go to Marine basic training. Hey, so maybe well, maybe you're missing something. I'll put you yeah. through boot camp here. Yeah. And scream at you and put a DI hat on and we'll just get you through it. All right. Did it be like sexy boot camp? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, bro. I don't even know. What I'm <laughs> yeah, me neither. No. So, so training. That was weird. Yeah. That so, was weird. But that, yeah, that brings us into to training, tactical training. Right. Is there anything else to cover? Because I feel like we should have covered something else. No. I mean, no, you know, it's just. I guess it's you talking about what pissed you off on Instagram. Sorry, man. I'm passionate nowadays. I, I have an We've angry... always been passionate. Yeah, but I'm getting angry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of these kids are pissing me off. Well, you know, it is what it is, man. I, I just don't. I just choose, I think, not to pay attention to a lot of it. Although I will. Oh, no. no. I got involved. I did get involved with two comments because Ugh. two of these. But, you know. At, we got to the end of that rabbit hole and they were just trying to be dicks. And they I was just like, wanted the attention. I was like, you know what? Fuck you, man. Delete block. I'm yeah. not dealing with it. Because we talk about that all the time. So, you know, hey, we're human. Sometimes we uh, get emotional. We go down the rabbit hole and we get upset. And we don't know where we're yeah, at. Which is actually, you know, in the grander scheme of things, it's a waste of fucking time. So, anyways. Absolutely. We digress. Yeah. Hey, so this podcast is going to be on uh, training methodology. You know, we've been asked many times, even at venues when we're training gunfighter courses or survival courses on kind of tra training methodologies and processes. So we wanted to do a podcast that breaks down our top 10 requirements of what you need to conduct training. Right. And, you know, conducting training is generally speaking uh, in our realm is, is tactical training uh, because obviously survival on you know which is our genre is a little bit more broader so we're going to narrow down on on tactical training which includes shooting right. shooting moving communicating right um and so these are the things these are the top 10 things that we feel you have to have in a plan in order to be successful in accomplishing your goals and training so you know to give some context on mike and i's you know not only training backgrounds, but our understanding of training. Um, you kind of got to go back to the beginning of when we started our military careers. Mike and I boy both joined the Army in the late 90s, uh, 97, 98 timeframe. And when we came into the military, uh, the country wasn't at war. Um, Bill Clinton was the president at the time. And the military was actually, you know, from what I remember back then, was in a position where they didn't have a lot of money for training. Um, they didn't have a lot of money for equipment. Uh, you know, so we found ourselves a lot of times I can remember, you know, I started off in the airborne infantry and I was running around the woods with a blank, a blank adapter on, um, you know, playing army, uh, in the wood line, which, you know, at the time there was nothing wrong with that because we thought we were doing the right thing, doing battle drills out of, you know, FM seven dash eight and the Ranger handbook and, and trying to learn and do the best things that we we could. And and at that time, I actually had some experienced NCOs uh, who were both Panama combat veterans, one who made the combat jump in. Um, and then the other uh, several of the other NCOs were Desert Storm veterans as well. And so, you know, these guys saw warfare um, at the level they did. Um, and, you know, it wasn't I don't think at those times um, it was like 
super, uh, I don't know if rough fighting is the right way to describe it, but it, it was different than what we would later see after 9-11 for sure. Yeah, it was like a Cold War environment. I mean, our right. targets were Angry Ivans. Exactly. Our lanes were flat. Uh, we even, I remember doing um, uh, trench warfare training. Oh, like absolutely. Fighting through yeah. trenches. Our, our live fire ranges were you know, were IMT lanes or lanes, which were individual movement technique lanes. Right. Where you, you, you know, do a three to five second rush, you get behind cover, you shoot. And that was really it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there wasn't uh, that training period, you know, we had sergeant's time or we had, you know, weekly iterations of teaching each other and mentoring each other, but there wasn't a lot of resources. Right. And then the resources that were available were cold war error, um, even even the mount sites, the mount sites were like designed yeah. to replicate what you see in Russia, right? What you see in Germany, and there wasn't a lot of anything dynamic about training, especially in the regular army. You that, know, yeah, even no. in special operations at yeah. that time, that time period. Yeah, it was uh, is interesting because two of the big training events that I can that I distinctly remember. One is is uh, doing you know. Uh, the big, they call it the National Training Center in Fort Irwin out in California. And that was, you know, we went out and did desert warfare's 11 hotels, which were mounted infantrymen, you know, running around in our Humvees with toes and 50 cows and Mark 19s. But it was all set up uh, like some kind of a big desert tank battle. And, you know, it was uh, very conventional, I guess is the best way to put it. And then the other one was JRTC and doing airfield seizures with the 82nd Airborne Division and you know and doing that mission set and it and that one you know uh typically got a little bit more unconventional because you know the tactics that that the uh op four would use against you were like little teams of guys that would hit and run and do all that kind of stuff which you know we would later find out would serve us somewhat well in the global war on terror because that was uh closely more closely connected to the tactics the bad guys were using yeah i think most of the training was doctrinal right it was right it was things that were already templated as being battle drills or immediate action drills that we are ingraining into ourselves, which is actually a fundamental of training period to, you know, enact or inject uh, these standard operating procedures. Right. But that's all we had. Right. Because there was no lessons learned being brought off the battlefield that were like uh, evolving or elevating our level of training. Right. And then, you know, we get to a point where we're, um, going into the GWAT and that completely changed, you know, when we, even when we're in the Q course, you know, and, you know, Kurt was talking about context. So I just add to the context of our backgrounds, you know, we're 18 Bravos, 18 Bravos is the, as a special forces weapons specialist or weapons sergeant, that's area of expertise is small arms and, uh, and big arms. And is it big arms? Uh -huh. <laughs> I think it's weapons so systems and my arms. <laughs> Weapon systems that are both international and domestic. Yeah, just uh, was kind of the way it was described, but also like the master tacticians. Yeah, gun shit and tactics. Right. And so when we we also though are looked at as like master trainers. Yeah. You know, it's funny is I don't remember even being taught how to be a master trainer Me because neither. there was an expe reasonable expectation that's just what you did. Right. So we kind of fed off of each other. Right. And developed that. Yeah. That training. Well, the other thing too is we had similar backgrounds where. Uh, we had entered into into service. We spent time in the regular army, which gave us a different perspective on training because we had seen how the regular army uh, put all that stuff together. And then, you know, typically 
when I was on a deployment in SOF, a lot of the training was organized that way, you know, at a, a basic level and an organizational level just to keep guys uh, going in the right track. Yeah. And, I, you know, leading into the Q course, I remember uh, the training we did wasn't really dynamic. I mean, ready up drills. Yeah. Was it was like, what? <laughs> we get to do ready up drills. Yeah, right. Now you think about it from where we're at now. I know, lines, And you're like, oh, it makes Damn. me yawn when I. We thought we were elite. <laughs> we're like, dude, we're taking a gun and on the command of a whistle, we're lifting yeah. it and shooting it. That's crazy. Yeah. We right. thought it was all high speed. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you and then you brought it up previously. So the paradigm shift was 9-11. And so Mike and I have told stories before about us remembering exactly where we were. And I'm not going to bore you with that during uh, when 9-11 happened. But the bottom line is, is that we found ourselves in uh, pretty intense combat. And, uh, you know, it was a very dynamic environment. And, you know, through multiple deployments, both of us had, we learned a lot of lessons um, in one, how to train our partner force and two, just in general, how to make training more effective. Yeah. Cause you know, when you're teaching somebody, you know, a lot of people who don't understand foreign internal defense don't understand that there's not only just a language barrier, right. But there's a cultural barrier, which leads into education, Absolutely. leads into, you know, customs and courtesies. Right. So indigenous elements or foreign elements foreign soldiers yeah not even soldiers foreign people yeah you know the, it's not even, like some of these guys didn't even have any formal training whatsoever in any kind of discipline or any kind of military tactics right so you're taking people and literally having to uh, incentivize them motivate them and get them to understand the period of instruction that you're teaching and they have no common grasp of any other key components yeah. that would make them a, a good learner. Right. Like discipline. If you don't have discipline and then you have to teach somebody to do something that requires discipline, then you get to start at the at the core. Like you got to start with uh, good training value. Right. And I think, you know, this is the point of the episode, which is at the core of it, outside of everything, um, all the high speed and sexy, you need a baseline understanding of the 10 things that we're talking about right in order for you to be uh, successful in training yeah absolutely you know and then to compound uh our situations not only were we dealing with you know uh different folks in different countries but then you know the expectation was you were going to take them out and fight with them yeah go to war with them right so uh which you know made things maybe 10 times more difficult sometimes no real yeah mo real and uh, it incentivized you on the training side as well to make sure these guys knew yeah. what they were doing. You could just check the block. Right. Because it, you'd get yourself killed and everybody else killed, and that's just unacceptable. So, yeah, that's a lot of pre- I remember my first Afghan trip, and uh, Edge was my senior Bravo. Right. He wasn't there. Right. And so I had to take on there's 144 Afghan Special Forces guys that were our teams, our detachments. And Willie, my team sergeant at the time, was just like, those are your guys. Go make it happen. I'm like, what? Yeah. Young staff sergeant, you know, little to no experience in special operations. And now here it was, and I had to make it work. And, you know, we made it work. But uh, those are some of the challenges that we were faced early on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of going into when we talk about tactical training, um, there were a couple things that I was thinking about 
uh, for different, you know, different people. We are talking about tactical training, but I think that you can kind of take some of the lessons that we're going to give you or some of the ideas and you can actually translate those into anything you're doing in life to be able to come up with an effective training plan. And um, a couple of the things that I was thinking about is one, uh, whenever whenever I'm thinking about training, I want to define uh, what I'm- Wait, are you going into this now? Yeah, kind of. Okay, okay. <laughs> Let's set it out. Okay, so the first thing is- Right, is defining what you're training for, right? So in this case, we're talking about tactical training. Um, and then two is, is defining the major- Wait, wait. Oh, you're going to do that? Sorry. No, 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 no. I thought you were going to do oh. one and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. So, so what does that look like in tactical training um, when you're defining uh, what you're training for? Well, that could be based off your background, right? It could be, you could think about that in terms as a civilian carrying, uh, you know, a concealed carry weapon, or you could look at it as a law enforcement guy, or, you know, it could be a mix of some different things there. Yeah. Defining what you're training for. Or for us defining like the mission, right? The objective. Right. Exactly. Just like you said, it's it's very it's very easy. You know, we use we had just talked about this, uh, the gunfighter course, for example. Right. We run gunfighter pistol courses. You know, the way we run it is we don't teach people the draw stroke, meaning we don't teach them how to draw their pistol from their belts because the entire um, point of gunfighting pistol is to be able to fight with your pistol regardless of what a position or what right. um, type of kit setup you have to hold your pistol. Right. That's kind of on you. So everybody who comes to our courses wears um, overt tactical belts. Usually. Yeah. yeah, usually. So the reality is if they're practicing for a concealed carry, uh, you know, concealed carry courses, which I actually want to do next year, the emphasis should be on what the you actual, carry. How, what you, you carry. how do you carry yeah. and then getting that gun out. Right. And then and then obviously the application of the gunfighting. But, you know, yeah, define what you're training for, because that's going to determine everything, everything that, right. you're, that you're doing, which actually leads us into the second part of this, which is defining the major tasks uh, that you want to work on. Right. So um, and you just hit on a bunch of those uh, as far as the gunfighting courses are concerned um, and talking about, you know, if you're going to if you're training for CCW or you're training uh, open carry with your gun belt or whatever you're trying to do, there are major tasks in there that you have to figure out. One of those um, could be the draw stroke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, another one of those could be marksmanship. You know, there there's a bunch of tasks that you can pull out of uh, once you've actually defined what you're training for, like you said, what the mission is. Yeah. The, the important element to number two, which is define the major tasks to make you successful is you have to identify the subtask and those subtasks require action right it's it's not just like uh, you go to the you go to the range with um what you think is like a conceptual plan like right. i think i'm going to do this right. no you literally say hey what's the mission ccw if ccw is the mission to be better at it mm -hmm. and you define the major task well a major subtask would be the draw stroke. Draw from concealment. Draw for concealment. Exactly. Right. And so that defines specifically your small goals or objectives that you're going to accomplish at the range specifically. Right. So literally take a piece of paper in a journal, you write down the mission statement, and then you write down the subtask broken down yep. and what you want to accomplish in that subtask or in that uh, mission statement. Right. 
no, those are that's those are great examples of how we used to break training down in the military uh, to be able to address all the different things we had to be good at. Yeah. So three, you know, we and two, we're talking about the broader task, right? Right. So I want to be good at uh, drawing for concealment. Yep. Number three is define the subtask of the major task. So inside of draw or um, drawing for concealment, right? You have a, a whole bunch of primary isolated tasks that you need to do, right? For example, uh, shirt setup, the sweeping of the shirt, right? Um, where is your support hand versus where your where's your strong hand, right? Um, gripping the back of the gun um, while it's in the concealed holster yeah. to get proper grip prior to um, pulling the gun, right? Um, draw stroke, how you are literally and efficiently drawing that pistol out of the holster. Yeah. And then uh, alignment or fundamentals of marksmanship or gun, or gun fighting. Right. And then, you know, to, to even go more in depth with the subtask, you know, is, uh, you know, alternate positions. Hey, what if I'm sitting and I have to draw my pistol? Yeah. You know, standing. Completely different setup, away. right? Yeah, right. exactly. So there's a ton of different things that you can actually think through. Um you know, and based off of kind of thinking about real life and how things happen and doing research and reading um, about, you know, different gunfights that may have happened to civilians, you can probably actually not probably you're going to be able to draw a lot of these major tasks and subtasks and be able to write this list down like Mike's talking about to give you realistic training objectives while you're at the range, because typically what we find is when you don't do this, you go to the range without a plan, you fuck off, shoot a three inch dot, uh, you admire your work, and you didn't get really get shit out of it, right? Yeah, we make that uh, gym analogy, you know, where you go to the gym and everybody wants to be a boss in the gym. Right. But to do that, you have to effectively quantify your accomplishments and your goals. Because if you don't write shit down and you don't identify like what your foundation is, how are you going to build on anything? Right. You know, just going to the gym, lifting weights, looking in the mirror, staring at dudes in yoga pants. <laughs> you're you're not going to get anything out of that besides uh, a boner. <laughs> Wait. I feel like you're speaking from personal experience on Wait. this one. <laughs> no, I was looking at you. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll that, leave that a mystery. Yeah. That, is that – I hate when you wink at me when you're saying something during the podcast. No, something in my eye. me out. Yeah. Something in my eye. Um, All right. Number four. So number four, you know – I like to do this when I'm looking at trying to make realistic training and kind of some of the ways that I define this is when I, when I start defining major tasks and subtasks of the major tasks, the other thing I kind of like to do is I, I rank by the likelihood of something happening um, and then create a, a kind of a prioritized list. Right. So, and, and what I mean by that is uh, maybe geographically you're located in a bad neighborhood and you're a CCW carrier and so when you look at being mugged or robbed or something to that effect, maybe it bumps some of these priorities up on your list that you need to get to the range and train, right? So yeah, that's a good um, point. It is. I mean, uh, so in the military, you know, the way this translates to us in the military is we had a, a metric shit ton, that means a lot, of things that we had to be really good at. And so we had to prioritize a list of things that we needed to train on, but based off of our mission, some of those things gave it gave its training priority uh, more precedence, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you're saying like, if uh, you're doing concealed carry and it's winter time, yeah. well, you wanna probably train with your concealed carry in your winter jacket pocket, yeah. as opposed to, you know, 
doing it in shorts and a fucking t-shirt, yeah, you know, yeah. from concealment appendix or whatever, right? A priority list. That makes sense. Right. So yeah, that's, so th these top four uh, things that you talked about, these are all things that, you know, conceptually you need to understand in developing a training plan. Exactly. Um, so now we're going to talk about the 10 tangible things that you would do, for instance, in tactical training. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so we, you know, we made a list of 10 things that we think, uh, one to give, you know, you, the, the listener, an idea of how to attack, um, maybe a shooting tactical training plan. Um, and these are the 10 things that we feel like are extremely important. So the first one, number one, number one, yeah, is, uh, is actually having a pro timer. What's a pro timer, uh, a pro timer in the shooting world is, uh, the ability uh, to be able to measure a shot with a device, right? That's what a pro timer does. Um, why? Why do we need a pro timer? Well, uh, it's pretty hard to go to the range and actually get a baseline um, of, for example, what my draw stroke is uh, with a single shot to the A zone on an IPSC target at 10 yards if I don't have a pro timer. Um, there, Obviously, there's different shot timers that you can buy. There's a pro timer, uh, or it's the Pocket Pro, um, it's made by competition electronics. It's the pocket pro two. That's the pro timer that we use all the time. And then there's the pack club shot timer three, which is like one that Lucas uses. Um, those are two different, uh, solid shot timers if you want one. And then of course they make apps on the phone, uh, to be able to use that. But again, getting back to why we do it, because I've got to be able to measure time. So how do I know I'm getting better? That should be the question that you're asking when you're going to the range. Well, one of the ways that you do that is with a shot timer. Um, what do you think about that? <laughs> no, I, I think it's, you know, I think like you say, you know, you, Kurt typically emphasizes this in training is that in order to, um, in order to increase your performance, you need to be able to quantify your result. Right. And the it's way like you, anything else in life. Yeah, that's any performance based, anything, right. You have to be able to measure, um, you know, it's like the, like a Fitbit, you know, like if you want to measure and analyze your heart rate and, and how to optimize your performance via yeah. your heart rate, you have to do that. So if you're shooting, the same rules apply. Uh, you know, not only does a pro timer initiate um, the shot sequence, but it measures the first shot, the last shot, and all the subsequent shots taken in between, which gives you your split time. Exactly. Which is, uh, you know, can measure your cadence, measure your speed, measure your trigger control. A whole bunch of uh, cool things. Um, you could set it up to where it beeps on to go, and then beeps at a certain time to to limit your uh, on the backside to tell you what your limits are. So you could set it like, hey, if my objective is at twenty five meters, you know, like we talked about in subtask, uh, and you're working conceal carry, hey, I want to be able to draw twenty five meters with a shirt on, daylight draw and hit a target from 25 meters away under four seconds right well you could set that par time yep. to go off at four seconds so you could be like drawing shooting beep and it goes off and you're like shit and you know if you're in the time window yeah you know you're from that window and then you know where you got to improve and build efficiency i like that yeah number two number two uh number two is scorable targets um and again you know this is the same information that we put out during our gunfighter courses, but scorable targets, important to have scorable targets uh, for a lot of the reasons we just described with a pro timer. Uh, some of my favorite scorable targets are uh, the standard IPSC with the A, uh, C, and D zones. Um, obviously, I think those are fantastic. Um, and they also give a good 
uh, point of marksmanship for shooters in general. So they understand kind of kill zones and, and what isn't a kill zone. Um, the other one that I like for fundamentals of marksmanship is a 25 yard NRA bull. Um, I've had the ability to train with a lot of different people. And when you're really working the fundamentals of marksmanship, uh, I like being able to do that at distance because I feel like your, uh, you know, your, your inconsistencies in your fundamentals are um, amplified at 25 years. Yeah, they are. Absolutely. And so that, that's obviously, uh, you know, a, a good thing to add into your training plan or, or, or your, your targets that you select for training. Um, the other thing, uh, that we really like are the VTAC, uh, the VTAC targets, right? So you've Love got, those. Yeah. yeah, those, we use them all the time in training. Um, a lot of, uh, uh, our friends that, uh, are doing tactical training, use those targets. Our buddies on active duty still use them. Um, those are fantastic. They also give kill zones. Um, and the cool thing is they're two sided and they've got either the triple or quadruple bull, uh, bullseye targets on the back. Um, so they're kind of multi-purpose, which is pretty cool. Um, and then lastly is we like to have some steel, um, reactive uh, steel, yeah, right? reactive steel, you know, uh, we like to put that stuff out so we get immediate feedback on hits, um, which is, you know, good in some different, uh, areas of training. Yeah. I like that. Uh, number three, <laughs> number three. Uh, so number three, uh, is having some type of video or tech technology right to video record yourself while you're shooting a drone yeah three drones we've yeah we've had all kinds of stuff lately right at the courses so um but you know this i mean hey everybody's got a cell phone these days a smartphone um there's a ton of training benefits to being able to videotape or, ha or video record yourself yeah. if you've got a buddy at the range he's video recording you or you can set the phone up uh, with all these little tripods and all this other stuff and you can see what you're doing as far as some of your maybe inefficiencies or where you can speed things up. If it's the draw stroke, if it's your presentation. Um, or you can manually speed it up in iMovie <laughs> and then yeah. upload it to Instagram yeah. so everybody thinks you're fast. Yeah, exactly. Because that um, we, we haven't seen that. Not at all. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of different benefits to using technology in the form of being able to videotape yourself uh, yeah. shooting. Well, we use, you know, we use that the saying, the acronym isolate, rehearse, repeat. And, you know, we've talked about it many times, so I won't talk about it now, but the rehearsal part of it is you do something until you're mastering efficiency and optimization of what you're trying to accomplish. Right. So when you do that, you have to have an observer or you need to be able to record yourself and build efficiency in the model. You can't right. do that by feeling. You right. can't say, well, I'm slow now. And so I know how to be faster. I just need to be faster. Right. That's not how it works. Right. You analyze your your body position. Uh, you analyze, you know, every movement in your body and and through the entire duration. And you can see exactly what you're doing. If you have your buddy videotape your trigger finger, for example, smacking off the trigger, and you're looking to do uh, marksmanship and be very accurate. Yeah. Then you might see something that you wouldn't see with the naked eye that you could identify on camera for post analysis later on. It's a very good tool. Yep. Good to point. Have. Yeah. Great point. Um, number four, number four. So this is a, you could probably go down the rabbit hole for an hour about this, but proper kit. Um, and we listed, you know, clothing, uh, holsters, gun belts. I mean, you could go down the list with this guns, 
I mean, proper kit for the task, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the way that you clean this up is, you know, again, we're, we're talking about tactical shooting training right now or shooting and tactical training is what to pick for the job, right? It's the same thing we did in the mill. When I had a mission, I went into my tool chest, the arms room and everything else and figured out what were the right tools for the mission. So uh, an example here would be, you know, if you're a CC carry, uh, CCW carrier and you carry appendix, you know, there may be certain holsters that you want to check out and, and get some education about uh, about if they're effective or not, because we've seen things out there that uh, tend to be crappy. Um, and reduce your ability to be able to draw quickly from appendix carry uh, to to basically get shots on target. So um, other things to consider there is like what type of clothes you're wearing when you conceal carry, because most people don't want to give the overt signature that they are carrying. So it could be maybe something a little bit more baggy. You may have to increase uh, the waist size to accommodate for, for example, a Glock 19 that you conceal carry because it's a double stack semi-automatic pistol. Uh, what else? Well, I think, you know, what stands out to me when you say proper kit is this whole training like you fight. Right. You know, people have been criticized or critis uh, critical of us me saying that train like you fight because they don't know what the <laughs> fuck they're talking about. But how I use that is, for example, if you're a SWAT team member on a right. SWAT team yeah, and you're on the kit or you're on the range and you're shooting without kit, you're wrong. Yeah. Because if you're trained to be better as a subtask in your specific job and you're not shooting or training in what you would wear on the job, right? then you like the entire ergonomics of the setup of how you shoot, your eye relief, everything is different. So, you know, what I've seen most people do is they half-ass this process because, you know, they don't want to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, they go out on the range and, you know, they, they have a setup to optimize their speed. And they run a speed rig, they run it in front of their thigh right and realistic it's like dude yeah you could be fast in the pro timer and it's cool for social media but if you're doing realistic training like we're talking about you need to apply realistic uh, kit considerations absolutely numero five so number five we've got realistic training aids and the first thing that comes to mind uh with a realistic training aid is having I'm not talking aids like that is yeah you know, no not like what you could potentially have yeah just kidding um, <laughs> I feel what? like you've lost like 40 pounds. <laughs> um, no, but realistic training aids, uh, you know, the first thing I think about, I think, I think because I like teaching this, uh, is, is having a vehicle on the range because a lot of bad shit takes place in and around vehicles. Um, you know, whether it's some asshole road raging to, uh, a patrol officer, you know, and you gave a great example last weekend at the course, a patrol officer walking up on a routine stop and ends up in a gunfight in fucking 0.5 seconds. Uh, you know, so, so obviously using those realistic training aids and, and having the ability, uh, to be able to shoot through glass and do all these different things that are realistic to what you may have to do to protect yourself and your family or, uh, you know, do in the line of duty. I, th I think it's funny because when I think about realistic training aids, I think of the evolution of how far we've come with training aids. Oh, absolutely. And when we were in SF early on, bringing out a cone on the range was like, whoa, what? <laughs> a cone? Yeah. We got to maneuver around? And yeah. then we have barricades. Right. It's like, what do you mean? You got a barricade? Like, this is dynamic, sexy training. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Because we're trying to, we're trying to replicate a realistic environment in the real world. 
ranges are flat with berms. That's right. We have to add range. It's like doing CQB without furniture. Right. How many houses do you go into? Well, in Iraq, it's different. You go into houses <laughs> that don't have furniture. But how many houses do you go into that don't have furniture on the walls? Mm-hmm. So you're running a point of domination and you're running slick down a wall. Well, you could look in this room. There's not one single opportunity for you to run along any wall because you put furniture along walls. Right. So training aids include furniture, obstacles, you know, things that replicate the real world. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, I, I just had a flashback to Afghanistan and like clearing inside of compounds and, you know, there'd just be like a there's rug, no a rug yeah. and blankets. Yeah. But then again, the like the doorways yeah. weren't standard either. So you're like crouching That's down true. and trying to pull a blanket out of the way. Yeah. And it's like Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> doors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Number six. Yeah. So we hit a little bit uh, on and on three with video and technology. But uh, we want to define this a little bit more, and that's having a shooting partner or a group of people uh, that you can shoot with. And there's a yeah. there's a lot of benefit to doing that in your training. One, Mike and I are competitive as fuck. Yeah. And so the first thing I think of is, you know, I know that when I'm shooting around people that shoot well, it makes me up my game uh, because I want to do well because I'm competitive. Um, <laughs> safety. Yeah. Having safety. a safety on range. Absolutely, a safety. And again, being able to add that person in uh, to be able to watch what you're doing, because if they can actually observe it with the naked eye versus having to slow down a video, uh, that could be an on the spot correction that you could clean up right there. Well, we teach also shooter coach methodologies because people learn different ways. Absolutely. And so an added benefit is if you're actually doing something um, or you're actually observing somebody do something, you are getting in information in different ways. And you might observe something that you're like, damn, I do the same thing. That's a that's a that's something that we're doing that's inefficient. Right. And we need to clean it up. So it's a good take on on a whole bunch of benefits, which include camaraderie, your yeah. tribe. I mean, going out with the same people um, that are like-minded who want to push yourselves to be better and going out there and half-assing it and and not holding yourself accountable when others will, which is another point completely where it, surround yourself with people who hold you accountable. Yeah. If you suck, let surround yourself with people who can call you out for sucking. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'll call you out for sucking. <laughs> Mike does all the time. It's I terrible. Su- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's obviously there's a lot of benefits to having people around you uh, to both help you uh, become more efficient um, and then also to drive you competitively to have a safety for all the reasons why we just discussed all good stuff. Numero seven, numero seven. So this is, uh, this is like a common sense thing. Um, and anytime we start, it's so common, nobody does it. I know. Right. Um, but it's, but, but I think actually the message is getting out there and the bottom line is, is having a med kit, um, you know, having a med kit with you, uh, just makes sense. I mean, it does in everyday life. And then and then you're going to go to a firing range and you're going to go train and do some tactical training and then not have a tourniquet and, you know, an individual first aid kit. That just doesn't make any sense. So uh, we push that really hard. Even when we're doing training, you'll see Mike and I running around. Our med kits have at a minimum, you know, a tourniquet, a chest seal, uh, a needle for needle de- uh, decompression, um, and then uh, typically a bunch of gauze to be able to pack a wound. Um, I'll pack your wound. Yeah, don't your pack axe, your axe wound. Don't pack my wound, please. So what? One thing. I mean, some points that you brought up is um, you could have a med kit, but yeah. you have to train. 
Absolutely. Right. So a lot of people have med kits. They're like, I have an IFAC because it looks cool. Because I've seen cross. some of the most sexy med kits oh, in some dude. of our courses. I actually get jealous, but then I'm like, oh, my IFAC's good, man. I've used yeah. this, you know? Well, because we, we understand how to use it. We know the application. If you're one of those guys who goes to the desert and you train in the middle of nowhere, which is a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and you're not, and you don't have a tourniquet. Yeah. You're, you're effing you're, wrong. Yeah, you're wrong. Because we have buddies who have been, who've literally um, had incidences where they were uh, shot on a range shot on a range and uh you know a femoral bleed dude you you get hit you, you could bleed out in minutes you and if you don't have a tourniquet you're gonna die so take that very seriously that's the i think i think that's like one of the best considerations Absolutely. common sense but common sense is not so common nowadays <laughs> yeah uh, numero eight yeah so go, moving on to number eight uh and you know we were talking about this and it's like okay if i make this training plan and I go out and do all this stuff. Uh, where am I getting my uh, experience base knowledge from, right? So eight is a mentor with actual experience. And that could be, you know, for example, two ex-special operations guys like Mike. Philcraft Survival. Yeah, Philcraft Survival, shameless plug, right? <laughs> um, or it could be a, a buddy that's in law enforcement. It could be, um, it could be a, a really switched on civilian um, who maybe has been to a lot of different training courses, who's very competent in being able to relay information. Mike would call that person an emulator. But, <laughs> but no, but but seriously, it's like, how do you, uh, if I just try to go out and develop a bunch of stuff and I don't know if it even makes sense, uh, you could be wasting your time. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that we always do because we're experience-based trainers um, is we try to share and relate a lot of information from gunfights that we've been in. Um, and we've really, uh, you know, been digging through those experiences and trying to break those down to give people practical information uh, that they can train on their own uh, to be able to increase their survivability. You, you have to be able to define the why. Right. If, you, if you're doing something and, and you, your answer to defining the why is it's because somebody else did it, right. then you're an emulator. Right. Your poser. Define the why because the, the curiosity and tactics is what's going to save your life. So we're not talking about something, you know, that's an aesthetic or something that's pleasing. We're talking about things that are going to literally save your life. So um, every good instructor, every good mentor is going to define the why. Right. They're going to tell you exactly why you're doing or we're doing exactly what we do. So um, if you're one of those guys who's, you know, imaginative and you're developing your own subtask and your own tactics and your own training plan, that's awesome. But run it by somebody who has actual literal experience in your network or in your circle or outside your circle, DM us, uh, and, and uh, make sure that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Number nine. So I'm switching nine and 10 just based off of uh, okay. what I want to talk about. But so right now, uh, number nine, we're saying uh, we would look at a realistic uh, training venue. And what we mean by that is a training venue uh, that it's not an indoor range and it's cubicle shooting, which we absolutely despise. Hey, if that's all you got, uh, then obviously you're going to go there. Okay. I'm not saying not to do that. Um, but if they're, you know, I think you should make it a priority to get onto a range where they allow you to shoot and move. We don't live uh, in 2D. All right. <laughs> 
contrary to what some people might think, you know, you mean you're not an anime character <laughs> like I am? Yeah, exactly. Voltron. So, you know, the importance of what we're talking about with, with this tactical training is, is realism. Right. And, and we just talked about training aids and we talked about all the different things that, that, that could potentially go on, uh, during a gunfight. And if you're standing in a cubicle shooting your little bullseye and admiring your work, uh, it's probably the wrong answer. So, so being able and a great example is we we've got several ranges that we train on, and that's how we train. We're shooting and moving. We're getting behind cover. Uh, we're getting into alternate positions. We're shooting out of vehicles, through vehicles, from through windshields. Vehicles. That's right. Yeah. So, because in the you know in this crazy world we live in, with all these different obstacles, all these people, and all these different things, you've got to be prepared for that. And so, you know. Uh, again, uh, a way of being able to, to elevate your, your training level or make it realistic in this tactical training scenario that we're talking about and giving you these 10 things is a venue that you can do some realistic training on. Good, good points. Number 10, finally. Number 10, uh, which you could actually make number one. So when we looked at these, uh, you know, some of these may be out of order a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they don't but, have to be in order. Yeah, exactly. So when Figure I- Figure it the fuck out. Yes. Um, the administrative part of all the backside of this. And what I mean by that is um, whenever you go and do firearms training, hey, you should have a safety brief, the four fundamentals of firearm safety, right? You talk about, uh, and I'll just say them uh, because they're important. And, you know, kids that hunt and all that, you know, and they're out doing shooting and all that kind of stuff, they learn this from a young age. Uh, but hey, it's never too late to get into the game. So the four fundamentals of firearm safety uh, are always know the status or the condition of your weapon, right? Um, and, and that goes into basically knowing if it's loaded or unloaded, bottom line, and treating every weapon system as if it's loaded. Number two, I never let the muzzle cross anything I'm not willing to kill or destroy. Uh, that's just an easy way to describe it. Um, number three is, uh, you know, basically is keeping your finger off the trigger until you've made the conscious decision to shoot. And that goes into target discrimination and being able to figure out if something is a threat or not. Um, and then number four is knowing what your target is and 360 degrees around it. So what's in front of it, behind it, to the left and right. You've got to know that. Um, and, and, and I say that because uh, throwing a CCW scenario and you're in a crowded place, somebody tries to take your life, um, you're trying to shoot uh, the offender or the perp, and you know it's a low percentage shot. You've got civilians everywhere. Hey, you've got to be aware of that kind of stuff. So you got to know your target and 360 degrees around it. What else did that have brief? Yeah. So admin, you know, whenever we do ranges with people, uh, with the, with the administrative brief, I also talk about a medical plan cause it's hugely important. Uh, we are, uh, you know, contingency, contingency based planners based off of our experience. And unfortunately, uh, you know, people get hurt occasionally and if you're out training, somebody could get shot. And so, you know, some of the things I like to know is where's the, the nearest trauma center, what is the flight time of their on-call uh, helo, if they have one, right? That's a question you should be asking. Um, what's the response time by an ambulance? What's the level of care they can provide? Um, and then also knowing that, hey, when I dial 911, if it's a training accident, I'm going to tell the EMS dispatcher um, or the, you know, the, the dispatcher at the control room that, hey, this was a training accident somebody accidentally shot themselves. 
And I always, you know, I ask the first responders in our course, I'm like, hey, uh, that's where we got this because it makes a difference, right? It, it makes a difference. If you just say, hey, somebody just got shot and I'm at this address. Well, you're going to have the cavalry showing up. They're going to show up anyways, but their demeanor is going to be a, uh, very different based off of what you tell that 911 dispatcher. So it's something to think about, uh, you know, if an accident happens, but that medical portion uh, is important. And then the other thing too is if you're shooting in a group of people, you might have a paramedic out there with an aid bag. That's a good thing to know. And so uh, the other thing that we do is we always talk about an evacuation vehicle, right? Typically it's a truck um, or a platform at the range where you can move a casualty if you need to. Um, and so, and then it's even uh, in the detail of saying, hey, the keys are here, they're on the dash, you know, the med bag is here on the range, so everybody knows it. Um, and the vehicle, this is the primary uh, medical platform to evac somebody if we have to ground evac them somewhere. So, Jesus. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. You, you know, people, people make an admin brief informal. Right. It should never be. No. Right? It's a formality, meaning it doesn't change. Um, you, you brief it the same way, and it lends itself not just to professionalism, but to safety. Right. So don't don't check the block on an admin brief. Yeah. Obviously, you got to change it up based off of location and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, but I mean, this, but it's the standard. Protocol. Yeah, standard. it's the standard when you are going to go and do tactical training. Absolutely. Well, that sums up the 10 uh, things that, uh, you know, that you would use in tactical training. The, the must has. Right. Right. That's the uh, the commandments. Is that, is, that okay? is that okay to say? <laughs> the Ten Commandments? The Ten Tactical that Commandments. That could be sacrilegious. So. No, commandment is a yeah, word. The Ten Tactical Commandments. Ten I like Tactical that. Commandments. <laughs> um, if Biggie Smalls can do it, um, <laughs> yeah. the Ten Crack Commandments, then we could do the Ten Tactical Commandments. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's close out this episode. Yeah. So uh, we got the Tribe Upgrade. We do. It's There's a lot of people joining it. Um, excited about that. We It doesn't kick off until 1 December. Yeah. So for everybody who's getting on board, one December, the price changes. This Friday, actually. By the time you hear this, probably that day <laughs> or the day uh, past. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. It's the last time. In fact, I'm going to advertise that. It's the last couple of days before the price changes and we go to a subscription-based plan. Uh, but your subscription doesn't start until one December. That subscription includes content, which is all the stuff that we're talking right now, which is actually blocks of instruction. Uh, that include the subtasks that we talked about. That's right. Philosophically, so eloquently <laughs> in the beginning of this podcast. That's right. Yeah. So uh, some of the other things we have coming up, we have training courses um, being lined up right now uh, in Ceres, California. You can see those on the website. Those are about four months out from now. Um, those dates are up on the website. Uh, we also are scheduling training back at Cowtown in Arizona. Those will be on the website soon. Um, and then Mike and I are actually leaving this weekend to go and train in Texas. Uh, and then we have another course in mid-December, 16, 17 December uh, in Texas as well. And those are both gunfighter courses. So if you're interested in any of those, go to the website, fieldcraftsurvival.com. Go to the gunfighter carbine or pistol courses and sign up for those. We'd like to see you guys there. Yeah, go train, see these 10 tactical commandments be exercised <laughs> yeah. on our flat ranges. Um, no, no boxes checked. Okay. You ready? <laughs> Until next time, stay alert, stay alive.